Today on the Tapping Show, UAW October 6th live stream, but without censorship and with my charming personality. Anheuser-Busch St. Louis Arch Tweet is mocked for looking like their sales trajectory. DeSantis states a leaf of Vivek's book and is now willing to shut down the Department of Education. Nikki Haley proposes the repeal of a federal gas tax, an idea from 1996, but nevertheless a good idea. Their mermaid actually lost $150 million. Ford lays off an additional 400 workers in Michigan to the UAW strike. Liberty Safe posts a privacy update, but it's immediately mocked. Costco is selling gold bars and going viral. Ford EV launch sales up to 20,000 units and beyond. And major airlines are scrambling to track down engine parts that are too dangerous because they are knockoffs. All that much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder released twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, you see, that's a joke. If you're an IT leader or business owner, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of October, so if you can click that button, I'd greatly appreciate it. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Ford announcing more layoffs, and specifically, they're laying off about 400 workers in Michigan due to the UAW strike. This after the UAW wanted to bankrupt the big three basically by asking literally 80 to $100 billion in increases, wages, and benefits. Everything from getting paid to work 40 hours a week, but only actually working a mere 32, and getting a 40% increase in their wages, pensions back, additional healthcare, and a myriad of other things that would surpass the profits of the big three. Now, it looks like Ford is specifically directing about 300 workers at Livonia and 50 at the Sterling Heights plant, and they're telling them not to report back to work. Now, this is according to a statement by a spokesperson from Ford by the name of Dan Barbosa, and it looks like the results they say are specifically are because of the Detroit-based UAW's walkout previously on earlier Friday at the Chicago assembly plant, which produces the Ford Explorer, the Lincoln Navigator, and the police interceptor SUVs, and the union is paying its members that are laid off by Detroit 3 about $500 per week, which is, is actually the same price that's being paid by $500 per week by the folks who are striking, which I was gonna say, getting paid $500 for the sign is not a bad deal. For weeks of work, well, some debate if that's really work, let's just say I've worked a lot harder to get paid a lot less throughout my careers. It'll be interesting to see how quickly these layoffs continue to expand as the AEW is strategically kneecapping the big three. Some would compare it to the mobs. Some would, some would, but Certainly some would, but it's one of those things where strategically, instead of having a whole plant go on strike, they're just having a couple of folks go on strike. And apparently the big three were prudent enough to actually cross train their employees. So the whole plant is basically slow to a shutdown, which is detrimental for the 18 people who still want to buy the product. So in their instance, they're just going to have to lay folks off. So it'll be interesting to see who gives first. But again, are you, are you going out to buy a car these days? You got, I don't know what unprecedented amount of uncertainty in the economy. No one knows how bad things are going to get. A lot of businesses are pulling back. Most people I know are just trying to stretch their dollars and make, you know, make their things that they own currently last longer. They're not going out and buying a 50, 60, $70,000 plus vehicle as the big three vehicles are actually more expensive than most on average. It'll be interesting to see, but time shall tell. Other interesting business use, you have Costco selling gold bars and immediately selling out. So specifically, they're actually selling 24 karat gold bars and they cost $1,929.99. And unfortunately for some, 
they can only be purchased by Costco members. So if you're not a member of the VIP Costco club, you may not partake in this awesome promo that they have. And it looks like the company's website says the price of one ounce 24 karat gold bar. It looks like anyone can buy it, but you have to be a member. We have to pay between 60 and $120 per year for the subscription. And they do limit to only two bars per customer. So unfortunately you can't stock up your whole safe with Costco gold bars which may would say is much more reliable than the U.S. dollar as the U.S. prints more money than we've ever, have, ever, ever, ever have before. But we'll be interested to see what do you trust more, the U.S. dollar or precious metals? Something interesting to think about. Now, we asked for comment. During a recent earnings call, Costco Executive VP and CFO Rich Gelate said, quote, when we load them on the site, they're typically gone within hours, unquote. Which, of course, if you can get a good deal, Costco has some of the best deals. And let's be honest, gold's not usually going to go down in value anytime soon. Again, I'm no financial expert, but it's one of those things where it's made people view it as a stable value holder throughout history. So it'll be interesting to see, is this yet another reason to become a Costco membership? It is certainly a unique value prop. I have not. I've yet to see that actually on Walmart.com, although perhaps that will be their next marketing technique. It'll be interesting to see. Time, of course, shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have Ford EV sales inch past the 20,000 production mark in Q3. Thanks for the apparent demand for the Mustang Mach 3. I almost have to say that as if there's salt on my tongue just because it's not really a Mustang in any realm of possibility of logic. The Mustang you and I know is the one with three pedals, also known as a manual transmission, usually a V8. It's got two doors. It's a sports car. Maybe we say it won the Pony War since General Motors brilliantly, and I mean that obviously sarcastically, they killed the Camaro yet again. The rumor is they're going to bring back the Camaro as a four-door EV. And then Dodge, in their infinite, what stops their wisdom? Foolishness. They decided to kill their muscle cars and replace them with EVs as well. And then they're hinting, maybe, maybe there'll be an inline-six Dodge Charger or Challenger. Needless to say, the Mustang is the only one that really survived. Now Ford decided to drag that pony's name through the mud and name one of their crossover SUVs the Mustang E-Mock, which, again, I figure that they only do that because that's the only name that they had was worth anything, and they wanted to have some global recognition. Although, really, I think all they did is just piss off a bunch of enthusiasts and just confuse a lot of folks when they go to the dealership and say they want a Mustang. Well, do you want the electric SUV-ish looking crossover thing, or do you want the actual sports car? Needless to say, I don't think it's a good idea to have that name. Now, it looks like it's surpassing the production numbers of the Ford F-150 Lightning because, of course, a Ford... Uh, an electric pickup truck is one of those bizarre things where it's pretty much useless. I mean, it's one of those things where there are some people who buy trucks and never haul anything, similar to how there's some rappers in Chicago or um, maybe ballplayers in Chicago who have a Lamborghini and they only park it downtown Chicago. They're not actually driving that as it was engineered or made for. It doesn't even matter if those cars stop or stop most of the time since they just sit in front of the club most of the time. They're not taking them to the track as engineers intended them to be. Same with the truck. Sure, you can have an EV truck if you don't haul anything, but as soon as you try to use it as intended, that's where the range anxiety kicks in because that's where the batteries just gets eat up immediately or seemingly immediately and you're left on the side of the road with, ironically enough, a gas generator in the trunk to charge your vehicle, which did happen and made for a great meme, don't get me wrong. So 
it looks like in terms of Ford's growth, it would make sense that the crossover SUV thing, even though it's pejoratively named, it is surpassing the sales figures for the F-150 Lightning truck. They also had that little issue of the F-150 Lightning truck bursting into flames, ironically enough, or appropriately enough, depending on how you view it, actually outside of the building of their proving grounds over in Michigan, aka their testing facility. So that was a couple months where they had actually shut down production because they had to figure out, well, golly, why is, this, why is this bursting into flames? We should probably get that figured out. And it looks like, in theory, they have, because I believe about six weeks after the incident, they began the, or rather re-began, the production of the F-150 Lightning. Now, it looks like they claim that demand for the F-150 Lightning, let's see here, even though it dropped 20% first half of the year, it looks like it increases slowly. Now, in June, Andrew Fink, the VP of Sales Distribution at Ford, explained that, quote, improved Mustang EMOC inventory flow began to hit at the end of quarter two, and we would see, we would begin seeing the results, unquote. Why does that sound so grammatically terrible? Nevertheless, Ford continues to say the Ford's E-Transit is also hitting its strides as its best quarter so far. The E-Transit was the best-selling electric van, which I didn't even know that was a thing, that sold 2,617 units sold, an increase of nearly 90%, which is one of those hilarious things. And, Remember, when it comes to anything from political polls to sales figures, when they tell you percentage, go, great, what was the sample size? Or what was the actual number sold? Because again, in this case, yeah, 90% increase, that's great. Well, what was the end number that you, what was the end result? Well, the end result was 2,617 units, which in the grand scheme of things is nothing, but it is an improvement. Now, it looks like Ford's electric pickup sales slipped 46% from last year. 46%. Now, this is according to Ford telling Electric, which is apparently an Electric news article. And they said that, the quote, the F-150 Lightning production is starting to ramp to ramp after a six-week shutdown to expand the Rogue Electric Vehicle Center with limited deliveries across July and August. So it'll be interesting to see if demand for the F-150 Lightning picks up. It's one of those things where you also have the Rivian, which their main vehicle is a truck. They also have their little SUV as well for that EV car company. Granted, they did lose about $33,000 per vehicle sold. And they just announced they're going to have to raise some more money. So their stock dropped double digits in a single day, nearly, nearly 20% actually. So Rivian's not doing so great, but anecdotally speaking, I do see more Rivians on the road than electric Ford F-150 Lightnings. So it'll be interesting to see which one becomes more popular. And more interesting, when does Ford actually make a profit off of EVs, which Again, they've they've delayed that statistic quite a few times, and thus far, the outlook is not so good. Again, it's, I guess if you're a shareholder, perhaps not be too concerned. It took Tesla years to gain profitability. It'll be interesting to see when, if and when that does happen for, for the Ford EV fleet. It'll be interesting to see, but as I always say, time shall tell. Now, going over to the culture part of the podcast, you have Liberty Safe. They're, they actually made a post about privacy with an update, and it's immediately mocked because, of course, there's no coming back for that brand. Liberty Safe used to be a respected safe manufacturer where they made everything from gun enthusiasts happy, people who want to keep their family heirlooms, documents, what have you, knickknacks, tchotchkes, and everyone liked it. It's a great Utah-based company, made in USA. And then it turned out they had a backdoor built in their security system to make it so that you just had to have a master code and by the way, they would acquiesce to give it to any government entity, even if they didn't have an official warrant for your safe. 
And oh yeah, they also donated to Democrats who on average are looking to ban guns, the very things that they make a safe for. And oh yeah, they sold out to private equity in 2021. That same company is very, as many would say, leftist owned and based. So they're supporting people who want to take away the product that your, that your product stores. And by the way, the one thing you designed the safe for, which is to be a safe so you can't just open it, you defeat it because it has a backdoor built in. And you acquiesce and give that code to anyone. So there's a huge pushback and everyone with a modicum of self-respect got rid of their liberty safe or at least switched out the locking mechanism as well as the people who are thinking about, well, what, should, what safe should I buy? They all said, oh yeah, anything but your brand. Now, this is recently from a Facebook post and it looks like if you go to the actual response, they, and this is, again, this is what they're claiming. They say, and this is the little blurb before you go to their website, it says, Liberty Safe announces a new privacy policy regarding FBI law enforcement information demands. Learn more about our privacy. And it looks like there's a little picture with a real, it's a really bad picture because it, it does not show the products. So it's not very effective. It's just, I'm guessing it might not even be their manufacturing facility, but it looks like a manufacturing facility with American flag and the words just privacy policy update. Now, if you click on it, which I can't help but think less than 10% actually clicked on the URL because intuitively no one's going to trust what they say. So we may be part of a unique opportunity. We may be one of maybe 10% actually click that link to see what they're actually claiming. Now, if, when you click on link, it does take you to their website and it says on the top, Liberty Safe has, quote, Liberty Safe has implemented customer privacy protections regarding law enforcement compulsory requests for information, including safe combination. These policies codify Liberty Safe position as an industry leader in protecting consumer privacy, unquote. <laughs> really? There's, uh, you, you would be more, your privacy would be better protected if you wrote it down on a cocktail napkin, left it in the middle of a club on a bar stool, or just put it on a Hobby Lobby poster board and stood in the middle of Times Square. Both of those methodologies would be more secure than entrusting your data to Liberty Safe, which is why the statement is so funny, because obviously it's BS. Now, they continue to say, claim, quote, Liberty Safe will only release consumer information to law enforcement agencies if the following conditions are met. One, a warrant, subpoena, national security letter, court order, or equivalent compulsory process must be provided that is specifically issued to Liberty Safe. For request for code, access codes, or combination, the compulsory, compulsory process must specifically require that Liberty Safe release the combination or access code for a safe identified by serial number. Three, if these first two conditions are met, the requested consumer information must already exist within our system at the time of the request. If a consumer has opted out of our retention of this information, we will be unable to comply with the compulsory processes. They continue to say, Liberty Safe has a process in place for customers to request the deletion of the code from our records. This process can be accessed at a little website URL. Except we're prohibited by law, Liberty Safe will notify customers of any requests from a government or law enforcement agency for consumer information in advance of our providing it, giving our customer is an opportunity to challenge a compulsory process. In addition to these processes, if Liberty Safe determines that the Pulsatory process is deficient. Liberty Safe will object, challenge, or request reject the request. According to Joe Fail, Liberty Safe's president and CEO, 
We believe, quote, we believe this process is this policy is the strongest in our industry in protecting the rights of our consumers, and we appreciate the feedback we received from many as we defined and communicated it, unquote. And then they continue to say these policies can receive that, yada, yada, yada. There's, that is the most appropriate name for a CEO I've heard in years. Some might say it's hilariously pejorative that the UAW president, Sean Fain, is the bane of many existence, including capitalism and, you know, people only profit. Some would say that. This is even more hilarious. His name is Joe Fail. The most appropriate name I've ever heard. Because this company has failed so epically, no one will ever believe them again. No one will ever buy their product again. And again, the issue is, why did they keep that data to begin with? It's just like with Twitter when they said, oh yeah, we're going to allow freedom of speech. Did you fire literally every employee? Because that's really what it would have taken. And of course, they didn't. They have a bunch of employees who kept, and that's why to this day you still see shadow banning and you still see a lot of censorship on Twitter or X, whatever the youth are calling it these days, ever since Elon rebranded it. But in this case, only now are they saying, oh yeah, now we're going to do the bare minimum. As opposed to, again, before they were just giving out the assets codes, like giving away like candy to trick or treaters. So again, if you're buying a Liberty Safe, you basically are buying a big steel box and no actual locking mechanism. That's essentially what you're purchasing today. And I say you're purchasing, I can't help but think maybe maybe 17 people are actually purchasing this product these days. Because again, you, you just, they pissed off literally everyone with their actions of acquiescing to literally just an ask, not even an official request from government agencies, just calling them on the phone saying, hey, uh, do you have that? Oh yeah, we'll take that. Not even an official court order, they just completely just bent the knee. Which is why I don't think, no matter what they say, the only way they could possibly recover is if they were to fire everyone, and then perhaps sell off the company to um, maybe a patriotic American. But needless to say, when it comes to Liberty Safe, the comments, they're even more entertaining. Now, of the 600 reactions, because again, they put this on the Facebook, of the 600 reactions, which again, the reaction is, you know, thumbs up, cry emoji, laugh emoji, angry emoji. I think there's even some, there's unlimited emojis these days, but there's usually top five that you see of reactions. Of the 600 reactions, 515 were the laughing one. 15 were the angry one. Three of them were sad. Only 65 were actual likes, which shows you a disproportionately high number of people are mocking their statement. Because again, no one will believe them. Because it's the same ownership, the same people working there. Of course, there's no reason to believe them. It's still owned by the same leftist holding company. Or private equity firm, rather. So, do you think they've changed? Really? I can't help but think, again, it's the least secure safe you can get. I wouldn't even consider it a safe anymore. Just a very, very expensive overpriced paperweight at the very most. Other interesting cultural news, you have the Little Mermaid apparently lost $150 million. Jeez Louise. Now, of course, this is after months after Disney said, oh yeah, this is going to be, we're going to knock it out of the park. It's going to be great. And similar to Netflix, they just kind of did the cliche thing where, well, actually, actually it's, not, it's not similar to Netflix. I think Disney really did perfect the art of the copy machine effect or the copy machine phenomenon it's a fascinating thing where every time disney makes a remake 
where it's simply a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. If you do that with a copy machine, the image will actually degrade over time. And with Disney, this very that's a very apt metaphor for most of their intellectual property nowadays. They take a copy of copy of copy and they actually remove most of the morals and values from those things. And in this case, like many cases, they also change all the races of the characters. So that's another cliche thing Disney's been doing. And we're told, oh yeah, we everyone really needs to see a live action remake of this, what was an old beloved property of Disney. And they said, oh yeah, everyone wants this. It's going to be a great thing. We're going to make a lot of money with this. And of course, no, because Disney's lost up nearly $2 billion on their films lately, which is almost an unfathomable amount of money for a company that used to basically print money for a living. I mean, it used to be Disney was such a stable business. People call their stock a blue chip stock. It was one of those things where it was very stable and just you knew over time it would increase and go up and up. It didn't fluctuate too much. It wasn't going to be a big peak in a valley like a tech company where you have bubbles. and It's very stable, great company. But that was when they actually had morals and values, which nowadays are most certainly vacuous from Disney. Now, it looks like this recent report says, this is according to Bound Into Comics, they said that the Little Mermaid production budget soared to nearly $300 million, more than doubling its losses at the box office. Now, this news report details that previously released, the Little Mermaid production budget soared over $300 million instead of the previously reported $250 million estimate. Now, Variety initially reported that the film cost around $250 million to produce in their coverage of the film's opening box office, you know, where it basically crashed and burned. And Eliza Schaefer and Pat Saperstein wrote, quote, with a $250 million production budget, Little Mermaid must bait box office success in order to make a reasonable return. However, a new report thanks to Caroline Reed at Forbes reveals that the budgets swelled to nearly $300 million by the end of August last year, eight months before the movie had even opened. Now it looks like Reed's report is based off of filings from the UK where she just uncovered that the film's production company has filed under Walt Disney's subsidiary, Sandcastle Pictures. Now, those findings also show that Disney did receive a rough $46.6 million pound tax rebate which converts to $56.6 million. That means the net budget would decline to $240.2 million. However, that net estimate actually might be low given her calculations appear to not factor in any currency exchange or inflation given the cost of Little Mermaid's production go back to 2019. Jeez Louise, talk about a long production cycle. They also claim that on top of that, it's possible another report could come out and additionally cost given that the last part was from August 2022 and film did not arrive in theaters until May 2023. Reed does note that this filing does not include other post-production costs and can range to tens of millions of dollars. Now, if you use Reed's estimate of the production budget clocking in at $297 million after converting from £243.5 million, pounds, film's losses more than double what many estimate had been for the film using the $250 million estimate. According to the numbers, The Little Mermaid only made $569.1 million worldwide, with $298.1 coming in from North America and $270.9 coming in from various international markets. Using the $250 million production budget, the film needed to gross at least $625 million to break even. Of course, the film did not do that, and thus estimates of its losses come in at just shy of $60 million. However, if you adjust the production's budget to the new $297 million number provided by the UK government, 
The break-even point is closer to 700 to 742.5 million. Thus, losses have also increased to 127.8 million. Now, that's also using a conservative factor of 2.5 the film's production budget. Star Trek actor and film producer Simon Pegg previously indicated that Star Trek films needed to make 3x their production in order to become profitable. He said, quote, The fact is Star Trek movies don't make Marvel money. They make maybe $500 million at most, and to make one new on the scale themselves is $200 million. You have to make three times that just to make a profit, unquote. If one actually needs to make 3x a film's production budget, The Little Mermaid needed to gross at least $891 million just to break even. Its losses would then come in at $180 million. So, great. Great idea, Disney. They created yet another film that no one was really asking for, and they also lost money on. Which, out of curiosity, did anyone watching this show, did you actually see The Little Mermaid? And do you think Disney will learn their lesson? Probably not. I, I can't help but think no, because earlier last week we are talking about how there's most likely going to be a real-life adaptation of Bambi. Again, something no one is asking for, and again, it's something that was already timeless. There's no reason to remake it, except a reason being you have no more creativity or original thoughts inside your noggin. And yet these writers say they demand they deserve more money. Even though I can't help but think most of the productions these days, again, it's just a copy of a copy of a copy. Just earlier last week, we heard that, oh yeah, they might reboot The Office again. Which, The Office was already a copy of a copy, because the original one was from the UK. So, the new one will be a copy of a copy of a copy. Why pay these writers anything? AI can do that easily. If you're just remaking the same thing, slapping on the same title or the same series name, you really don't need that much creativity to make it. So, what's their justification for existing? I would say it's not so much. And are you surprised The Little Mermaid ended up losing so much money? Or are you surprised it didn't break even? I can't help but think, who, who, was, who was there anyone who thinking it would make a profit? Again, it'll be interesting to see, does Disney break a profit? That might be the, next, the ultimate gamble with you and your buddies. Well, when will Disney make a profit on a film? How many years or decades will it take for them to actually get back to basics and remove the politics from their content? And maybe, maybe, call me an idealist or call me insane, but maybe they can come up with a creative idea. Maybe. I know it's a long shot. It's a crazy radical idea these days to tell that to Disney. But perhaps someday they will. Other interesting cultural news. You have Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis Arches are immediately mocked. As the arches can't, a lot of people can't help but think, that's a lot like your sales trajectory. Yeah, the big St. Louis arches go up and all down because they crash precipitously, which is a pretty accurate statement when you consider just fiscal Q2 alone compared to the same fiscal Q2 of the last year. The amount of sales are just gone. $400 million. Gone. And every week, every week, after week, after week, it's about the same 30% decrease in sales, 27 to 26% decrease in volume of units sold. I was about to say volume of Bud Light, but ugh. just the thought of having a, a vast quantity of Bud Light. I, I just pictured when I saw volume, I thought of like a pool, of, uh, like a swimming pool of Bud Light, which 
It, oh man, I need to start writing this down. I, I just thought of the ninth, the eighth, yeah, I think the eighth legitimate thing you can do if you won the Bud Light sweepstakes. Or I was wondering, if you win the Bud Light sweepstakes, a great example of how you could be a winner and loser at the same time, what would you do with that? I suppose in earlier uh, other episodes, I was kind of brainstorming thinking, if you were a hot air balloon enthusiast, you could use it as ballast, where you could use it as dead weight. Although, if you were to have to cut ballast and it falls down to the ground, it could hit someone in the head, which, medically speaking, would probably be a less impact to your health than drinking the product. However, using it as a you know, little hot air balloon ballast was certainly a good idea. You could use it as a doorstop, I also said. But in this case, if you were to have a swimming pool of Bud Light, it could be used as a prop or in the real world if you were like a Dr. Evil or an evil bad guy in a film. In terms of torture, they would be a horrific thing. Imagine if you had the hero of the film or in real life, you threw them into the pool of Bud Light beverage. I, I horrify. I, again, I'm not a fan of the Saw series, but I can only assume Saw 11 or whatever number they're on. That could very well be the pinnacle mechanism, little escape room, whatever they plan in those films. You have to, you, you're in this pool of Bud Light, but in order to escape, you must drink it all. Which, dear God, the taste. Oh, I was, some things even too, there are some things even too dark for me to imagine. But nevertheless, that is a legitimate, or some would say illegitimate use. That is the eighth use I've thought of for Bud Light. Let me know your suggestions in the bottom of the comments. What do you think would be a good use if you were to win the Bud Light sweepstakes? Now, nevertheless, getting back to the actual post from Anheuser-Busch, who again, big brand on social media, you think they'd have hundreds of millions of followers. I mean, one of the oldest, well, used to be a respected brand in the United States, especially, but they only have 64,200 followers on Twitter. Not to brag, but I almost have 300 followers at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G, my Twitter. I believe I have six for the topping show as well, which I would argue we go for the quality, not the quantity, so we still win. But nevertheless, they tweeted where they said, Arch, you glad it's fall in St. Louis? So they're attempting to do a vernacular grammatical pun, which I would normally appreciate, but in this case, it just, no, terrible. It should have it said arched, like arched. And then they have a picture of Budweiser, the, oh, it's hilarious. So it's actually a, can, a, a bottle of Budweiser with a cap on, so, which is the safest way to actually have the drink because then, again, if you were to actually spill it or some, there's a risk if the cap was off, some might get into your mouth, which may would say is not palatable to enjoyable experience. So safety first, the bottle is close in the film, or in this case, the picture, and it's a picture just the Budweiser in front of the St. Louis Arches. And... In terms of the percent of people who follow the company for salt, it's pretty good. Of this, well, again, you don't know if the followers are actually viewing this as well. But nevertheless, they did get twenty, yeah, about twenty-one thousand views. And for Budweiser, that's that's pretty good. Or rather, for Anheuser Busch for that particular LinkedIn profile, or in this case, Twitter. So they got twenty-one thousand views. I wonder, are any of them? Uh, what are the comments? Do you think they're good, happy, sad? No, of course they're not great, but we shall dive in nevertheless. Now, suspicious, there is someone who actually says, oh, I guess vernacular is above their intellect, so instead of speaking, they simply had emojis of what appear to be beer, although it certainly isn't Bud Light or Budweiser, but nevertheless, it is an emoji of beer, which I didn't even think was a thing. 
Now, Mr. Sam Rack, he said that, and two people liked it. So two people agreed with him cheering on Anheuser-Busch. Let's look at his profile. I can't. It might be real. Mr. Sam Rack, who I don't know where he lives, but he has the American flag, the India flag, Japan. I believe that's France, Germany, England. What are you, guy? Interesting. All right. Says he's from Virginia. He says he's a tech enthusiast, a music, sports, media, journalism enthusiast, multilingual. Ironically, he says hashtag free speech in his profile, and yet he's rooting for a company that consistently censors a majority of their opposition on most social media platforms. That's uh, hilariously ironic. Now, looking at his profile, there's a lot of reposting. Does he have original, are there any original thoughts in his head? I don't think so. No, he did. Oh, no, that's a repost, repost. So it looks like if he has a computer, it looks like it maybe. Oh, no, he reposts something for Lay's, the chip company. A serial reposter. I don't think he has any original thoughts. Repost, repost, repost. Jesus. Repost, repost. All right, this person's getting an F. So if it is a person, it's a very uncreative person. They just repost everything. Now, going to the other responses, you have Rich Money. Actually, no, your first one is Ryan Tree Fitty, which is, interestingly enough, infinitely more than the value of a Budweiser beer. But nevertheless, he simply just says no, and he gets nine likes. Mr. Rich Mooney responds saying, I wish Anheuser Bush InBev was a St. Louis company again. I don't like Euro-woke Belgian version. He got four likes. And it's a shame because Belgium does make good waffles and pretty good rifles. But unfortunately, not the best beer. Someone by the name of Chirac said, quote, Your consumers will soon forget won't won't soon forget your behavior earlier this year. Don't you worry. They got seven likes. Someone by the name of E. C. Waterbunny said, Where is Dylan? Unquote. They got eight likes. Mr. Rooch Mooney does a post of an article where it says how Bud Light is consistently, quote unquote, vetting public comments under the brand's Instagram post to remove any hint of negativity. They got four likes. Someone in the comments by the name of Right From The D says, I'm sure your boy Dylan is. Derek Mesker says, beer, bad beer woke. Ken Clawson says, your arch resembles your sales graph with Dill Mulvaney waving from the top, unquote. First got nine likes. Laura King says, quote, keep boycotting hashtag Bud Light and Asher Bush and Asher Bush in Bev. First got six likes. So I'm not, I'm seeing a lot of commercials. I'm trying to see... Interestingly enough, I don't see, besides that one reposter, not a single positive response. Although I'm not too surprised. Again, you look at their sales, and they speak for themselves. Social media, interestingly enough, I guess the only surprise is they're not consistently censoring all these people. In terms of the social media censorship, you see a lot on Bud Light's profile, specifically on the Twitter or X, and then you see a fair amount on Budweiser, then this one, again, this is the parent or pseudo-parent company, Anheuser-Busch. The big, big parent company is Anheuser-Busch InBev. 
Interestingly enough, there's a little less censorship on those media handles. Although, who knows how long these comments will be up as well. So it'll be interesting to see, but let me know, have you forgiven uh, Anastasia Bush and Beth, even though they didn't apologize, didn't really change their sales strategy, still investing heavily in sponsorship of quote-unquote child-friendly drag shows, which it's almost like, like a, kind of like a double negative in math really don't exist. Also, again, you're having that as well as you're sponsoring alcohol at children's events. Like, how, how preposterous can they possibly make the, these uh, sponsorships? It's beyond me. But nevertheless, not beyond their brilliant marketing team is they surely know what they're doing. They're, they're getting paid a lot of money. Maybe, maybe they're doing something right. I mean, I don't think so. But let me know if you think differently. And, of course, their sales shall tell soon enough. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have UAW President Sean Fain, October 6th live stream, but without censorship and with my charming personality. Now, this is as we are going on a couple weeks of the strike of the UAW versus the big three. The big three being not a football or sports ball types of situation, but the big three being what used to be the pinnacle of automotive technology. You had General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler. Unfortunately, during 2009, partially because of the UAW, GM and Chrysler went bankrupt. Well, Chrysler is so bad they are bought up by a European company known as Fiat, and they're rebranded yet again in 2021 to be a big holding company now called Stellantis, or perhaps because they're European-based, Stellantis. Which, I'm just guessing that pronunciation, to me, just sounds fancier that way. So, and then Ford barely made it by the 2009. They did not go bankrupt. Barely. They uh, took out a loan at a very strategic time, so they did not have to go bankrupt. Now, recently, you've had these companies making record profits and reinvesting them into EVs, which is hilariously ironic that the UAW, they use a lot of their money for politics. That's why I put them in the political part of the podcast. They're a huge political force. They help people get elected from pretty much every campaign you could think of. And an overwhelming majority of the time, they are helping Democrats get elected or more often than not. And they, the UAW takes dues. They pay the politicians. The same politicians they got elected passed laws to ban the most profitable thing they make and also to push EVs, which EVs by their very nature will require less low-level labels to create. So they're going to need less UAW members to make the EVs and also a lot of precious materials, all the components are coming over from overseas. I mean, an EV company is basically a tech company. You need a lot of software developers, a lot of programmers. And unfortunately, there are going to be different types of jobs. There's always that good old debate of when you have new technology, will the jobs be eliminated or will they just create new jobs? If you look at history, the long-term, every time you have a big technological breakthrough, history has shown that it just creates new, different jobs. Sometimes things we've never known exist. But it is somewhat ironic that they helped elect the politicians that are pushing those technologies, also the politicians that printed more money than ever printed before and caused inflation, which is one of the contingencies or one of the things they are griping about, which is understandable. Everyone is upset about inflation, some people just wished uh, you got different people elected so government didn't cause inflation by printing so much money, which my three cents, I wish there were more libertarian candidates who would say stop spending money because can't help but think or see, you know, you get Republicans in office, they still spend money. You get Democrats in office, they spend even more money. So it's one of those things where I really wish there were more support for more third party candidates, more ideas, and hopefully someday the U.S. will actually become fiscally responsible. I'm Pretty much, I, I'm pretty pessimistic about that. Again, we're $33 trillion in debt thanks to Democrats and Republicans. Like, geez Louise. And Sean Fain, he was elected 
to be the UAW president, re president recently, and he's all about the strikes, which he's doing what they wanted in terms of when they did the polls, they actually asked the union members, would you be open to striking? And then they overwhelmingly said yes. And again, the original proposal was to bankrupt the big three. I say that because the original benefits they were asking for, again, they had 10 specific asks, some of the most outrageous ones being a 40% increase in wages, which watch my, I go, I go over the executive packages of the big three CEOs, Mary Barley being CEO of General Motors, Jim Farley being the CEO of Ford, and then Carlos being the CEO of Stellantis. I go over the executive packages that they get. That's why they claim the 40%. Now, again, the CEOs, that cost the company millions, 40% increase to theirs would be billions for an apples to oranges comparison of a job. And they also want pensions, which really don't exist anymore for most, the most part of the private sector. And they want a bunch of retiree benefits, healthcare, more benefits that getting paid 40 hours a week, but only working 32 in addition to getting cost of living expenses, in addition to getting a 40% raise, a lot of things that would have literally, you look at the cost, third party analysts said they would cost between 80 to 100 billion over the four year of the contract. And if you look at these companies, more often than not, and I say that, you know, the big three, they're not making enough profits to actually cover that. So it would bankrupt them. So we got Sean leading the charge and he's become more and more of a social justice warrior, which given the, given the pol politics of who's a UAW member and who he's trying to inspire, who voted for him, makes sense. Well, although I think it's in poor taste, it makes sense politically speaking, he's a politician. So they do have a nice little graphic and I am examining, I appreciate the comments. Thanks to someone in the comments, they're going to start evaluating a new tech called Streamlabs over the next couple of days to see if we can do the picture in picture production. And I really do appreciate your patience and your feedback as we try to make the show better and better together. And I tried a couple, I'm currently using one called OBS, which is open source software. And I'm trying to find something that's really intuitive, easy to use on the fly. So we can do picture in picture during production, not post-production. So to save a little bit of time as well. So I appreciate you bearing with me as we do make the show better together. And it's out, you actually don't wanna see this. Again, this is someone who's making about $200,000 a year to be a divorce, to cause conflict, to be a divorce attorney. I mean, the president of the UAW. He doesn't even have the audacity to suit up like every man should. Every man, you always look best suiting up. It's what you do in life. Not only is he, he did last week, he had a nice embroidered polo with a collar. So it's a little bit of a casual Friday. Here, he's gone full politician. He's in it, and when I say politician, I mean social justice warrior politician. He's wearing a t-shirt. And of course, what does his t-shirt say? Uh, good old communist, eat the rich. And not even has, not even proven enough to get it embroidered. It's simply silk screened on. So eat the rich, which again, he's showing his true colors even more and more every day. So I'm not too surprised to see this. Like no one's forcing you to be wearing a t-shirt in front of a camera. But again, I guess like a politician trying to be one of the guys, even though he's making like 200 grand a year. But nevertheless, he's wearing a t-shirt that says, eat the rich, even though the rich, yeah. So another fascinating phenomenon where the UAW, they want all the risk, they want all the reward, but no the risk. You see this a lot with other businesses as well, where if the business goes bankrupt, the owner's on the hook, they get all the risk. They, I mean, traditionally, if you want the upside, you take the risk, you work even harder, but nevertheless, that's not what they want. But is a hilarious cliche thing to say in and of itself. So without too much further ado, I shall start playing Mr. 
Sean Fain, the current president of the UAW. Good afternoon, UAW family. It's happened again. Moments before this broadcast, we have had a major breakthrough that has not only dramatically changed negotiations, no. but it's going to change the future of our union and the future of our industry. Yep, it'll help Tesla out a lot, I can guarantee you that, considering before the strike, they already had the highest wages. So Tesla, Honda, and Toyota, again, I'm not a financial advisor, not giving financial advice, but can't but think they make a really more reliable product at a lower price point. You want to, you, you want, oh, okay. Well, let's see uh, what happens for the future of you, but nevertheless. We were about to shut down GM's largest moneymaker in Arlington, Texas. The company knew those members were ready to walk immediately. And just that threat has provided a transformative win. GM has now agreed in writing to place their electric battery manufacturing under our national master agreement. Ooh. Good for the UAW, good for Sean, bad for your pocketbook. Great for Tesla, great news for Tesla. We've been told for months that this is impossible. We've been told the EV future must be a race to the bottom. And now we've called their bluff. What the When he says race to the bottom, I'm curious. Would you pay more money for a UAW manufactured EV versus a Tesla? Which, you look at any third-party analyst of Tesla, they're headed by leaps and bounds in terms of technology. Would you be willing to pay more for an inferior product? GM might pull a rabbit out of their hat and might come out with a fantastic EV product, but again, Tesla has a huge lead on them. Would you be willing to pay more? A lot of people thinking price is going to be a component. This will mean for our membership cannot be understated. The plan was to draw down engine and transmission plants and permanently re replace them with low-wage battery jobs. We had a different plan, and our plan is winning at GM. And we expect- Like a divorce attorney, it has to be a Delta. Only one will win. Oh, I can't, I can't but think, do divorce attorneys and Sean Fain watch Highlander with Sean Connery? There can be only one. Probably, maybe, perhaps. Expect it to win at Ford and Stellantis as well. So today, we're going to give you some updates on the state of bargaining. If it wasn't clear already, things move fast. It's hard to give an update that won't be obsolete by the time the update's done. So here's a snapshot. People who think I don't agree with him on anything. That's true. Things are moving so f quickly and fluidly, it's hard to keep these videos ultra relevant. By the time I'm done editing it and put, adjusting the sound volumes, well, shoot, there's going to be another proposal on the table. So that, see? Yeah. Perhaps I'll, maybe there's a little common ground there. Uh, in a punchline. Here's the snapshot GM has been falling behind. Today, under the threat of a major financial hit, they leapfrogged the pack in terms of a just transition. And here's the punchline. Our strike is working, but we're not there yet. Everything we've done to this point has been with one goal in mind.
to win a record contract that reflects the Big Three's record profits. And <laughs> Again, the very first proposal was greater than the profits generated by the Big Three. But nevertheless. Historic sacrifices our members have made to generate those profits. We've been very public about our demands and about our expectations and about our priorities. Everybody and their brother knows that we've been fighting for economic justice, for a just transition, for cost of living allowance, for meaningful wage increases. Hilariously ironic, a cost of living adjustment for the economy you contributed to making with your political picks. And when I say picks, not just your endorsements, but where you funnel money with your huge donations as well. Hilariously ironic. For retirement security, to end tears, and to win work-life balance and more. I wish I were here to announce a tentative agreement at one or more of these companies, but I do want to be really clear. We are making significant progress. In just three weeks, we have moved these companies further than anyone thought was possible. So let's take a look at where things started and where we are now. Looking at wages, our first wage proposal from the companies was a 9% raise from Ford. Now, with members standing up everywhere, three weeks into the strike, our top offer is 23% from the same company. That's insanely good, and yet it's still not enough. When was the last time you got a 23% raise? Again, this is over the course of the four-year contract. Most, yeah, exactly. I don't know many industries that could sustain that. That's two and a half times higher than they started. It's not where we need to be, but it's a hell of a lot further along. Both GM and Stellantis are behind Ford at around 20%, and we think they can catch up and then some. Looking at cost of living allowance, we heard for years that cost of living allowance was a thing of the past and we'd never get it back. Do you have that? Uh, I certainly don't think most companies have that. Usually you get a performance raise or not so much. That we couldn't go back to a cost of living adjustment formula that protected against the worst of inflation. That you caused? Oh, okay. Suddenly, three weeks into our stand-up strike, we've got two of the big three automakers committed to returning to our 2007 cost of living formula. Ford and Stellantis have agreed to reinstate cost of living allowance, and GM isn't far behind. And we're going to get them there. Looking at temps, you know, let's talk about the temps who have been abused and exploited by the big three for way too long. This part of the workforce used to be a small group, used only to cover for short periods. Now, they're an entire subsection of our union who have very few rights, low pay, and no certainty with their future. In three weeks, we've won raises for temps to $20 an hour at GM and Stellantis and $21 an hour at Ford. All three have made commitments around converting temps, but there's still a lot of work to be done, both on the wages and the conversions. Still, we're making big strides that will end up changing the lives of thousands of our members. When it comes to wage progression, you know, it's another serious area of progress that we've been working on, and that's looking at the progression it takes to get the full pay. Going into these negotiations, 
It took eight years for workers to make it up to top rate. Taking almost a decade to get to the top wage is unacceptable. Since the Great Recession, the length of the progression has reduced the quality of life for tens of thousands of UAW members. We have cut that timeline down to three years at Ford, while GM and Stellantis are still behind at four-year progressions. We need to keep pushing, but it means that all those temps we convert will go from second-class citizen to top rate, well within the life of this contract. That's a big deal. Looking at profit sharing, all three companies wanted concessions on profit sharing, and we said, hell no. Not only did we beat back Ford's concessionary profit sharing formula, we made enhancements. Is there anything they, they were, are willing to give up? We have also successfully beat back the concessionary demands being made by GM and Stellantis. Looking at job security, two weeks ago, we let Ford off the hook in our strike expansion because they agreed to some core job security proposals like the right to strike over plant closures, which our union has never had. Last week at the last minute, Stellantis agreed to the right to honor picket lines and made other important moves on job security. And now today, because of our power, GM has agreed to lay the foundation for a just transition. Looking at skilled trades, all the big three wanted to, to do was give little or nothing. We're fighting for a $2 an hour tool allowance. Now, thanks to our stand-up strike strategy, Ford has given up a $1.50 tool allowance. Stellantis has given up a dollar an hour. But GM is still refusing to budge. Looking at retirement. Which again, I know if, if you're part of the UAW, it's fascinating to hear what you have to say with the feedback. I'm actually, well, I know some people tuning in aren't maybe not be gearheads or big uh, enthusiasts all in the community. So for tool allowance, just go to the good old internet here, get a actual definition. Let's see here. Straight from the horse's mouth, so to say. The amount of tool allowance is included all purpose wage rates related to the tradesperson agreement. The allowance is for tools not customary supplied by the company, but is for the supply, maintenance, and use of the of tools ordinarily used by the tradesperson in performing their daily work. So, it makes sense. Although, with such big companies, as far as they don't have a group purchase order agreement or GPO with someone like Snap-on, I mean, it's kind of cliche to say, like if you work at a dealership or a mom-and-pop shop, you have the Snap-on trucks that go around everywhere. And you, we could debate till the cows come home, so to say, in regard to is there a value prompt or are they overpriced for what you get? But I'm actually surprised, and maybe they have that and they're just not elaborating in this particular video. But again, it sounds like they're getting funds for that. But I wonder if they, big three, you know, Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis, if they work with someone like a Snap-on or third party to get bulk discounts so the employees can use the discounts to get that. Again, if you're from the UAW, fascinating to hear. I've never looked into that nuanced little detail before. And Lord knows it's been decades. Uh, I'm trying to think when was, grand when was my grandpa over there. It's been quite some time. Security. Finally, we're still fighting hard to win retirement security for both our pre-2007 and post-2007 hires. 
That'd be a lot of people. A lot of people. And again, something that most businesses cannot afford these days and kind of an outdated idea. Not that it's not an idea, not an idea to begin with. For those members who still have a pension, we know you've gone far too long without an increase and we're pushing hard to change it. For those members who never got a pension or post-retirement health care, we're fighting like hell for real retirement security. But the companies are fighting like hell to keep our retirement uncertain and insecure. As people who give their lives to these companies, we never should have lost those rights. This strike is about righting the wrongs of the past and winning justice for all of our members. I also want to lift up one major change from the past in this round of negotiations when we're talking about the subcommittees that bargain a lot of this stuff. For the first time, we're on track to get all of our subcommittee issues addressed. Subcommittees cover everything from work rules to discipline to scheduling. They include demands and proposals our members submit in advance of bargaining. The demands we debate over at our special bargaining convention. In the past, these demands a lot of times were simply shut down when it was time to settle the contract and many of those issues were ignored. This time around, all of our subcommittees are being seriously addressed and we've made a ton of progress in these areas. We're doing things differently and we're getting results. So that's where we are on some of our core bargaining priorities. But here's the bottom line. We are winning. We are making progress and we are headed in the right direction. And what has moved the needle is our willingness to take action, to be flexible, to be aggressive when we have to, and to be strategic. Throughout this strike, I've been heartened to see our members talking about and debating our strategy. We're thinking together about the core question of the labor movement. How do working class people build the power we need to win what we deserve? So let's talk strategy. I want to be clear on one thing. Our goal throughout this process has always been to win a record contract. Our mission as your elected leadership is to fight like hell for the best possible deal. We don't strike for the hell of it. We know what it's like to hold a picket sign at 3 a.m. We know what it's like to be unsure when you'll get a real paycheck. 3 a.m., what's the, what? I was gonna say, I, one would think, I suppose it sends a message, but in terms of like when the news cameras would be there, eh, nevertheless, okay. The CEOs are trying to trivialize our strike and they're saying it's just theatrics. You know what? Yeah, we're loud and we're proud about our fight. We want the public to understand our fight and to side with us. Which is why they shut down the comments, always. As poll after poll shows they do. But it's not about the... Eh, that's one of the fascinating things I find about this. So I do polls and I also I post this on multiple media outlets and media platforms. So usually you got LinkedIn, you got YouTube, you got Facebook, you got Twitter. It is fascinating to see depending on where you're posting it, you do get more favorable or less favorable optics or I should say a lot of optics responses and who's supporting the strike versus who's supporting the AW versus supporting who's supporting the big three. So it's, 
it's certainly not everyone on one side of the issue. Kind of like most political things, usually you have, you know, 50-50 split on most topics in the United States. And in this is fascinating to see. I see a lot more support for the big three on platforms like LinkedIn, whereas on YouTube, usually responses are, I want to say, 80 to 90% in favor of the UAW. So it's fascinating to see kind of where the support is and how different it can be depending on where you're looking at the data. And again, it's the same data, just different media outlets. So it's a little, I find something a little fascinating about that. And let me know in the comments, where do you sit in regards to which side are you supporting? Are you just gonna go out and buy a Honda that'll last a quarter of a century or immediately in miles? Or are you really rooting for the big three? Are you someone who's dependent on the big three stock and maybe that's your life savings and you're really hoping their stock will go up and you know this is gonna have a negative impact on it because of course it's gonna increase their costs and hurt the profitability. Let me, again, I know uh, it's kind of cliche to say, but be fascinated to hear what you have to say and more fascinated to hear about your experiences, whether on the big three management side, the UAW side, or just someone third party's interest in the subject or a consumer thinking of buying a product. So I know it's cliche to say, but leave your comment below. Theatrics, it's about power. The power we have is working class people. We've shown the big three that we're not afraid to use it. And we have shown the big three that we are ready for a record contract when they are. Theatrics don't cause companies to agree to double digit pay increases. Theatrics don't result in a right to strike over plant closures. Theatrics don't win cost of living allowance. Theatrics don't result in GM battery cell manufacturing to be under our national agreement. Strikes and the threat of strikes by a unified membership are what delivers. Our goal here is not just to pound the table and show management how angry we are. And we are angry. Our members are angry. And they should be. We've made that crystal clear to these companies at the bargaining table. And that anger has moved these companies to a point. But our goal is not just to get mad and shut it all down. Our goal is to outsmart and outorganize corporate America. I'm reminded of the words of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> reflecting on the UAW of a former generation when Dr. King said, power is the ability to achieve purpose. Power is the ability to affect change and we need power. A plus politicking as that should be a new verb. It's not, if it's not already, we're going, uh, going up a little bit of a Shakespearean up in here and creating a new word today. But correlating with that MLK, brilliant, especially when you consider who voted for Sean Fain and who's a supporter, who's in the AW. That is a good reference point. So very prudent decision on his part. So what is power? Walter Ruther once said that power is the ability of a labor union like the UAW to make the most powerful corporation in the world, General Motors, say yes when it wants to say no. That's power. And I'll tell it to you straight. The billionaires and company executives think us auto workers are just dumb. They think we don't get it. They think we only understand the power of a supervisor yelling at us. Perfect divorce attorney. They hate you. They're evil. They're bad. I'm good. Like me. Give me more. Or an assembly line coming at us. They look at me and they see some redneck from Indiana. They look. Uh, hilariously enough, that's 
that's the opposite of what I thought of him previously of the little re of the research that I did on him. I never thought him in that pejorative note. Interestingly enough. Look at you, and see somebody they would never have over for dinner, or let ride on their yacht, or fly on their private jet. <laughs> Again, they have everything: private yachts, jets, billionaires. I've correct me if I'm wrong, but the only billionaire in the automotive community would be Elon, and that's because he worked like hell and basically gambled everything on the company, taking, I believe most years, a $0 salary, which, again, they would never do. Most people would never do. It's the ultimate risk. You're gambling on yourself. You're gambling on the stock. Like, again, I don't know. I don't know any. Let me know in the comments. Who's another automotive executive who's a billionaire? Most billionaires, if you look globally, they're usually in technology, fashion, precious metals, precious uh, kind of conglomerate resources, but nevertheless. They think they know us, but us auto workers know better. We may be foul-mouthed, but we're strategic. We may get fired up, but we're disciplined. And we may get rowdy, but we're organized. Not everything is about pulling out the bazooka. We've been very careful about how we escalate this strike and we have designed this strategy to increase pressure on the companies, not to hurt them for its own sake, but to move them. I was gonna say, emotional rhetoric is a fascinating thing. I should have looked up a story about an old lady whose whole, her whole life, her 401k, her, all of her benefits are invested in the stocks of the big three. She relies on the dividends from General Motors, but then after their prices went up exponentially and their costs went up exponentially, they had to decrease their dividends so she could no longer eat anymore. I'm surprised, but I, I was going to say no one at GM corporate is actually going to do that emotional rhetoric story. But it's fascinating to see GM really isn't doing anything to get public support as long as I can, as far as I can see. You had one president at GM put out an article in the Detroit Free Press talking about what he saw in, his, in the discrepancies between what the UAW was saying and what the substance was. But let me know, have you seen really any pushback or any actions from the big three trying to cultivate support on a consumer level or a cultural level. Again, I don't think that's a, I'm actually fascinated to see they're not. It'd, it'd be a fascinating marketing challenge, how you do that in a tasteful way, how to gain support. It is pol top politics 101. In interestingly enough, they're just choosing not to play. Perhaps they think it's similar to the game of tic-tac-toe was it war games where they found out the only way to win is not to play? Although I'm pretty sure you just have to go first and depending on what move it is you want to. But nevertheless, as far as I can tell, and let me know in the comments, when I'm doing my research, I haven't seen a lot of really content from the big three. Like, why don't they use, emo again, perhaps it's a business blunder on their end, they're not using commercials with members of the staff talking about, oh yeah, here's Bobby, he worked like hell, he worked his way up to the ranks, he was sweeping floors at GM's corporate office, now he's a manager of design or architecture or something, you know, something like that. Again, they have, I think they have some for their tech trainings that I've seen just throughout the years in terms of recruiting materials. But again, their marketing is just not very good. Well, that's not all too surprising, but perhaps do you think that would help? How much do you think public support matters in this case? How much will it sway public opinion when it comes to Bobby down the street is going to think, well, what am I going to buy today? I'm going to buy 
a Toyota that'll last a quarter of a century and a million miles? Or am I specifically gonna buy something by the UAW or the big three, you know, Ford, General Motors, Stellantis, because I wanna support the UAW? Or would he not? Because then by doing so, he'd also be supporting the big three management. So interestingly enough, I wonder how that might sway public opinion or if they, they just don't care about public opinion. I mean, they're publicly traded, so they probably be more prudent to be a little bit more involved. But let me know in the comments. That's a fascinating thing. I haven't seen a lot of traction or I haven't seen a lot of discussions around. Let me know if you want if you want me to make videos diving into the kind of breaking down and analyzing some of the commercials from the UAW. Let me know if you think that'd be interesting content. From a marketing perspective, I think I'd be fascinated by it just because I think they are, while I might not agree with what some of their messaging are, I think some of them are effective in the way that they frame things, which from a marketing perspective, I do admire. But nevertheless, back to uh, Mr. Sean Fain. To get them to say yes. Oh, hilarious note. Again, his t-shirt says, eat the rich. He's making, what, $200,000 a year about? If you make $33,000, you're in the top 1% of the globe. And yeah, he's saying, eat the rich. Perhaps he is a cannibal. He wants to eat himself. I wouldn't recommend it. I'm no doctor. And certainly wouldn't want to judge, heaven forbid. Maybe that's his lifestyle. I don't I don't know. He may very well be in the copy of Vogue next week. Yes, when they want to say no. And today is a perfect example of that. We know their pain points, we know their money makers, and we know the plants they really don't want to see struck. And they know we've got more cards left to play. We're not gonna let one company fall behind and wait for movement at another table. We're not going to let them sit back and lowball us while others make progress. We expect results at every company, and we've been crystal clear about how you catch a strike and how you avoid one. Two weeks ago, Ford agreed to some core job security proposals, showing us they were ready to bargain. Last week, Stellantis did the same thing, and this week, GM did something that was unthinkable until just today. They agreed to put the future of this industry under our national agreement. This victory is a direct result of the power of our membership. It's your willingness to stand up when called. It's your commitment to winning what you are owed. The companies see it, the world sees it, and today, I was ready to call on one of GM's biggest and most important plants to stand up. And it was that threat that brought GM to the table. The big three know we're not messing around. And they- What a great relationship. It's that threat that got them to, to, to bow down to the table for us. Again, the, the parallels with the divorce attorney are so fascinatingly blunt. No. Matt Curiosity, have you ever had, how many, how many times has that ended well? Well, for one party, certainly. Wait further strikes, then they'll have to pony up. And I've heard members who want to bring down the hammer, strike all the truck plants, hit the big three where it hurts. And there is a time and place for that. And believe me, if the big three don't continue to make progress, that time's going to be coming real soon. We're not going to wait around forever. We're not here to start a fight. We're here to finish one. As far as GM, why aren't the big three doing more? They seem very reactive throughout this whole thing. Why aren't they 
simultaneously spinning up factories in Mexico and other countries that are more favorable for business. I, they seem to be very reactive. Hmm. And to our counterparts at the big three, we'll see you at the bargaining table. Tomorrow we're going to join our striking union family out in Chicago for a stand-up rally. Today we made GM say yes when they'd rather say no. Next up is Ford and Stellantis and three record contracts. Thank you. They do have a pretty nice logo, graphical design that goes out at the end of the video. So that was Sean Fain's live stream. I wish I could share you more in terms of what people thought, but if you go to the comments, they are disabled as per the norm. I wish I could tell you how many people liked the video, but I can't because that is censored as per the norm. Call me old fashioned or American, but I believe while I may not agree with what you're saying, I'll fight to the death for your right to say it, which is why my videos always have the comments open. Even if you don't agree with me, I, I love what to hear what you have to say. I would argue negative critique is actually how you grow the most. And if you look at my videos, there's no absence of that type of critique, especially with this very polarizing topic. Although I'm fascinated by the results. I had a great conversation with someone who actually is a builder of locomotive diesel engines, which I nerded out for a little while. I had a great conversation with this person. And fascinatingly enough, they just always disable the comments for the videos of Sean. But thankfully this video, the comments are wide open. So feel free to say whatever you want. Now, interestingly enough, and ironic enough, the only time my comments have ever been disabled is when I made a video critiquing YouTube censorship and YouTube shutting down my comments. The other two times was when I was critiquing Bud Light. One was about how Bud Light was censoring comments on Twitter, and the other one was just talking about the boycott. And by default, on the YouTube studio, you can select you know how harsh you want in terms of the level of, do you want some comments, do you want a little comments? I always say allow all comments, because I'm just an old soul. I believe that everyone deserves free speech, but that's just my three cents. Used to be two cents, but should be four cents just because hyperinflation, ironically, is somewhat caused by them. But I'm Jerry Spann, so just three cents today. Though it's still free if you click that subscribe button. Let me know what you have to say. Be fascinating here if you're like an executive from the big three or if you're someone at the UAW at the front line. What do you what do you think Sean is doing right? What things do you think they should negotiate on? And what are some non-negotiable things where it just you'll walk away completely if you do not get it, what those specific things. Be fascinating to hear what you have to say. Other interesting political news, you have DeSantis copying Vivek and will now shut down the Department of Education. Now, this is thanks to the DeSantis War Room on the Twitter, or as the youth might call it, now the X, which, again, marketing, eh, it'll be interesting to see long term if that's successful or not. So, again, this is, it's not going viral in terms of, you look at the DeSantis War Room, usually they get between maybe 20, 40,000 views, and a couple of them will get, you know, outliers will get 100 to, 100 to 400,000 views. Now, this one didn't get so many, it got about 17,000 views, but I think it's important because it kind of highlights that he's open to accepting ideas from other candidates, kind of adopting some of them. And it'll be interesting to see, some might say you take the best of both worlds or you take the things that you like. Would this be a prudent way to maybe take some of the support away from Vivek in terms of the people who are currently supporting Vivek because of his ideas? If DeSantis adopted them, could he pull those primary votes away and propel him to kind of go even further ahead of most polls, where most polls he's 
ahead, but depending on you know, which polls, not so much, not much of a gap between Vivek as well as Nikki Haley. So it looks like the text before the video says, "quote South Carolina, Carolinian, Carolinian." Anything besides tech, besides Texan is a little, this doesn't sound right. But in all, in half seriousness, a quote South Carolinian asked Ron DeSantis if he would shut down the Department of Education. Yes, let's do it. Unquote with a fire emoji, showing that they're hip and cool. Now, without further ado. Yes. Yes, let's do it. Close education department. Yeah, no, the Department of Education, you know, these guys all, uh, you know, say they'll do it. And so the, the, to get to, to eliminate it, Congress need to pass a statute and I'd sign that. But short of that, we can take everything like Biden's done and we can take it off your back. Take it off the back of the states, liberate them. Let Yes. So, looks like you got 681 likes. And now for the fun, the fun part, going to the comments. Let's see here. Mike Gee says, quote, The only candidate I believe when he says yes would be RDS, his record of doing what he actually says is 100%, unquote. First, got seven likes. Mr. Bert McCallan says, quote, Notice how he never starts his answers with, um, unquote. That person got 12 likes. Someone by the name of the JL Podcast says, quote, Ron DeSantis remains unfit to be president of the United States. Ron DeSantis is a criminal and should be in prison right now. Ron DeSantis is a human trafficker, unquote. That person got 17 likes. And certainly unique statements. I've never heard of... I've heard the first statement. I've heard he's not fit to be president, but I haven't heard the comments about being a criminal. And someone did respond saying, based on what evidence, they got one like. Yeah, bizarre to say the least. That's the first. Let's see. Let's see, what other comments are there for this? Someone named Fast Crypto saying, quote, Rhino Ron is the fourth place in SC, unquote, getting one like. A lot of comments with no likes, oddly enough. A lot of people saying Trump 2024. Mr. Let's see. Henry Esposito did a meme or a picture where it shows a percentage of Let's see, Trump at 63%, DeSantis at 12%, says President Trump posts biggest lead yet, or Ron DeSanctimonious, unquote. And in small font, it says, Morning Consult, September 29th, 2023. So that looks like to be a recent poll. Let's see. Mr. SMAC said, quote, Trump said he was going to shut it down. DeSanctimonious parrots Trump again, unquote, with a rolly eye emoji this person got one like someone named this is a very unique albeit not very and awkward name mr jljr99 cro jljr99.x 
Though it is a very fine account, so they do have $8 a month. Not to brag, but so do I, at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G. Now this person says, quote, there must be at least 20 people there, L-M-F-A-O. But he did not get a like. Mr. Jerry Miller said, quote, just look at all the poll, current polls, Trump kicking ass, unquote, getting one like. Oh, okay, so, uh, there's a couple who are opposing him, not just praising Trump. It looks like Macy Buckner supports Biden. That That's their name. Uh, which, in terms of transparency, I appreciate that name. It's pretty easy to tell who this person's supporting. Now, this person says, quote, yeah, who needs department, who needs education anyway, unquote. That person got one like. Which, again, I, no one's saying you don't need education. I think the, the, the real debate is coming, who's in charge of it? Who's allowing the teachers to come with these crazy curriculums where they're not teaching actually history or science or math, they're teaching gender identity and things that have no appropriate place for school. It can't help but notice also you have all-time low history scores, test scores, mathematics scores, and yet the teachers' unions want more, more, more. So a lot of people are proposing to give more power to the states, give more power to local communities, and get the government out of it. Because again, I, another good question to ask someone, when was the last time you heard of a successful government program? I'm waking. Now going back to the comments, hey, this is a new one. Mr. Burt Brennan said, quote, duh, Santos, spelled D-U-H. Now, this person does get a D minus for marketing, though, because there's no picture or GIF of Homer Simpson, which would have been much more hilarious. Now, this person got only one like. And... Yeah, so, yeah, it looks like the comments, again, not a lot of loving for them. It looks like a lot of people that love Trump in the comments section. There's a couple supporting. And then, I'd say maybe 10% are supporting DeSantis, so... Not the best responses, as the youth might say, kind of got a little ratioed. So not, not the best results, but they're trying. Again, what's the correlation between social media and voting and primary voting? I mean, time shall tell. That's really, it'll be fascinating to see what that correlation is, or maybe in some cases is not. Other interesting political news, you have Nikki Haley proposes the repeal of a federal gas tax. An idea from 1996, but a good one nevertheless. Now, this is one of those things where another great example of, we have so many debates in the United States and the pessimist in me and many people also kind of say, a lot of problems will never be solved because if you solve a problem, you can't actually gain money by posturing and making a political thing. You can't, you can't increase your campaign funds by saying we're gonna fix X, Y, Z problem. Which is why, if you think about it, we've, a lot of the things that are controversial in the United States, a lot of the hot political topics, we debate, I mean, it's been debated for decades and there hasn't really been a lot of movement on them because both Republicans and Democrats use those topics to raise campaign funds. So a little bit of a pessimistic uh, theory I, that I have, not that all unique. I know other people share that opinion as well, but this is something where yeah, another great example of the government, never believe them that they say there's, there's going to be a temporary tax ever because again, it never is. Just like the income tax. Another thing that was supposed to be first voluntarily, then temporary. Like true, uh, you see a lot of these parallels with current uh, politicians. They say, oh yeah, it'll only be for the richest of people. Only they will pay the income tax. And then they go, oh well, temporary, everyone will do it. 
And then we go, like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get away. We'll, we'll stop eventually. And they never did. And they just take more and more and more and more and tax damn near everything that isn't nailed down. And sometimes things that are nailed down. So this idea, again, going back to the history when, you know, the good old days when the government didn't tax people to death, it looks like the current federal theft, I mean tax on uh, fuel, is 18.3 cents per gallon of regular gasoline and then 24.3 cents per gallon for diesel fuel. Now, the gas tax was made permanent on a federal level during World War II, first created on January 6th, or sorry, June 6th, 1932. And at the time, it was just one cent. A great example of just taking, taking, and taking. Now, Nikki Haley brought up this idea, and this is from Team Haley on the Twitter, and they say, quote, Nikki Haley's proposal to repeal the federal gas tax would be a positive step away from the continued consolidation of government power in Washington, unquote. And they actually have a picture of gasoline, it looks like the prices in California, whereas $6.97 per gallon for regular, this bland, unleaded, and $7.19 per gallon of premium. I can't fathom having, I can't fathom how people afford to live in California. Everything is so expensive. Well, they want it that way. They, presumably, they, they want it that way. That's what they vote for every every midterm and every year. But that is quite a bit. Remember when gas was a buck seventy-five a gallon and the U.S. was energy independent for the first time in 60 years? Your gas tank remembers. Your checking book, your checkbook remembers. Oh, more accurately, I know a lot of people don't use checks anymore. Your bank account remembers. Your weekly budget remembers. So again, in terms of moves on a political chessboard, smart move by Nikki Haley why not focus on again i don't republican whoever is running they should be focusing on what's affecting the average consumer inflation your weekly budget when you're going to the grocery store or your groceries government price well there are many reasons for that partially it's the fuel taxes partially because supply and demand of the fuel you shut down federal you decrease the number of federal gas uh permits that you're releasing you decrease the number of places you can drill you're kneecapping the areas of production how much does that hurt you? And also, when your stuff gets to the store shelves, that takes fuel as well. Usually diesel fuel because they're coming from semi-trucks. Now, it looks like this tweet got 23.4 thousand views, which for Team Haley is pretty good when you look at their average of how many views they're getting. Now, let's go to the comments. I can't help but wonder who would... Oh, I guess we know who would be against repealing a tax that would help out average people. Now, let's look at the comments. You have... Someone by the name of A Wake in the Desert. This person says, quote, prices of any goods or services are set by supply and demand, not a party nor a person, unquote. Uh, I don't. Now, this person got one like, surprisingly enough. I don't know how mentally vacuous this person is because they, they can't. It takes less than, again, we have unprecedented amounts of access to data these days. It took me, it took me literally less than three minutes to just go on the internet and research the federal gas tax and the history of it. And we just covered that in less than a couple minutes where we're talking about how the government is controlling the price of the fuel. Now, I'm not, it's not a single variable analysis where I'm not saying all the price of gasoline is coming from the gas tax. We just said it's about 18 cents for regular and 24.3 cents for diesel. And also the government does control production because they control every step of production is highly regulated, thereby increasing cost. Now, you can certainly debate the cost benefit analysis between that as a wise man by the name of Thomas Sewell just said, there's no such thing as solutions, only trade-offs. Now, 
again, the U.S. government is controlling where you can where you can drill for fuel for uh, fossil fuels, how much you can do. I mean, they're heavily regulated. So this person, let me know. Should we have like a, a special award? So we have a you have the you have the business blunder of the day, but do we expand that to the political blunder of the day, or in this case, the moronic tweet of the day, or the mentally vacuous tweet of the day? Let me know in the comments. We'd love to see how we can make the show better with your input. Let's see, what other comments do we have here in this section? Not a lot of likes. Uh, let's see here. Some by the name of Jerry Wah said, quote, Nikki Haley is right on everything, unquote. And he uses the thumb up emoji showing he's hip. Although he did not get any likes. Some, and I can't tell if this person is sincere or not. But nevertheless, Mr. Eric Bowden says, quote, Way to go, Nikki. That 18 cents plus my 13 gallon gas tax will get me $9 a month, unquote. Which, I was going to say, those savings add up. Again, every every dollar that the government is stealing is something you can reinvest in yourself, your kids, your business, whatever you want. It's yours. More of it should be kept to you, I would argue. Let's see here. Uh, somebody named a Peter Lomer, or Lomer? Lamer? All right. This person says, quote, so you don't want roads maintain, maintained, bridges kept up, unquote. This person got two likes, which I would argue we need more privatized highways to begin with. And we need more, we need better contracts to actually construct it so that they're actually built right. Now, I swear, and this is a long standing conspiracy theory, it's almost as if the roads are built poorly to ensure job security for the people who repair them. With one of the most cliches in history being the Autobahn in Germany, it's still rock solid decades later. It's also, what, 9 to, nine to 13 feet deep? I mean, they built it pretty solid. Now, United States roads, I don't know if they make them out of Swiss cheese, because that would be a foreign substance. You wouldn't want that, of course. Well, better metaphor would be... I just thought of the... I need to write this down. I just thought of the ninth legitimate excuse, or actually, ninth legitimate reason of things you can do with Bud Light. Bud Light, use case number nine, if you win... If you, yeah, if you win the Bud Light sweepstakes, use them as bricks for a road. There we go. And again, we, we might even get to 100. I, I know that's ambitious to think there's 100 new uses for Bud Light, but you could potentially take the Bud Light, crush them, and use it to build a road on, an aluminum road. Although... I was about to say the yellow brick road. For Bud Light, it would be the rainbow brick road with their current marketing initiatives. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's their decision. Let me know. Do you think that would be a good use for Bud Light? You could use it to make the roads better? It'll be interesting to see. That might be a new science experiment. Now, let's see if there's any other, other responses. Someone by the name of Ann said, quote, you need to encourage your Republican CEO buddies to quit price gouging Neuromarta? What the? I have no idea what the Neuromarta. I don't know what that is, but the internet might. Neuromarta. Is that, what? Oh, that's her name? Oh. Really? Okay. Learn something new every day. I thought it was just Nikki Haley. I guess that's her legal first name. Interesting. Although not as cool, as interesting as having a name like Topping. That's just classy, some might say. Let's see, other comments. 
Uh, uh, yes, Anders said, quote, she lies so much, nothing she says can be trusted, unquote. Hashtag BS perfume. This person got zero likes. So there's a lot of critique. Uh, let's see here. Okay, here's one. Someone from uh, Team Haley. Looks like they tweeted her upcoming speaking events with a picture of her. I got 29 likes. So okay. So fair. Let's say. Let's see. Stop it. Da, da, da. Yeah, I'd say, shoot, I want to say 70% supporting of her. There's a lot against her. Maybe 60%. Ah, yeah, I'd say about 60% in support of Nikki Haley. Again, if I was, again, maybe DeSantis and Vivek and Trump will copy this idea. Get rid of that. Make the roads actually reliable. Don't make them disposable. I, let me know, is it, is it cliche as well as time? How long do roads take to construct and how quickly do they just disintegrate into nothing? Is that by design or do you think, well, why do you think they disintegrate so quickly? It's almost as if they want to have that guaranteed job again, again, again. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40 year hyperinflation, I should really charge four cents, but what can I say? I'm a generous man, so just three cents today. Now going over to the business blunder of the day, you have Major airlines scramble to find knockoff jet engine parts on their planes. Wish.com strikes again. Well, not really, just kind of. Now, it looks like the engine manufacturer claims that a small broker sold a spare parts found on their way onto 126 engines. Now, these airlines include pretty much all the big ones. You got American Airlines, you got Southwest Airlines, you got United Airlines. The big three. Now, it looks like multiple have already replaced the uncertified parts and returned their planes to service, but close to 100 planes may still be affected worldwide. Earlier this month, the news broke that a British aerospace supplier, AOG Technics, had forged certification documents for dozens of parts used in the... This gets an F for marketing. CFM56. Come on, is it, it's almost as if they're, they don't even have a marketing department. But nevertheless, this is something called the CFM56 Turbofan, which it's got the word turbo in it. You could have thought of something so much cooler than that. But nevertheless, that's the, uh, the name they went with. And they say this is the world's most widely used jet engine powering such large space aerospace structures such as the Airbus A320 and Boeing 737. Quit literally some of the most popular planes in history. Not so great. Now, it looks like the origin of the fake parts isn't yet known, but some of their destinations are. The engines of at least four airlines around the globe. Jeez Louise. And it's one of those things where people are already pretty paranoid about flying with all the risk involved and all the components that go into making the engine work properly. And in this case, that's it's one thing if they would have, you know, maybe a cup holder from Wish.com and... I mean, most people probably wouldn't care if that was low quality, if it broke off or the handle cracked, or if your little armrest doesn't stay up all the way, that's not really a big deal. But to have the main heart of the plane, the engine, have possible faulty third-party parts that quite literally aren't up to spec and could crack, break, cause catastrophic failures, 
That's got to be the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone again for taking the time to tune in today. I know it's ambitious. We're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of October. So if you can click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, your feedback in the comments are greatly appreciated, even if it's a harsh critique. That's how I always say you grow the best. Also, a like helps the channel out and it gets the video shared more, possibly, maybe. I'm not sure. It looks like the algorithm kind of is a little haphazard, so to say. But nevertheless, all those three things help the channel out and I greatly appreciate it. Also, and lastly, don't forget to take the time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.